Well, there's a lot of things in life that we have absolutely no control over. You don't get to choose or control when you were born, where you were born, or to whom you were born. You, you don't get to pick that. Uh, you don't get to pick your... Uh, your your race, your your DNA. You, there's a lot of things of life that you just don't get to pick, and you don't get to pick your ancestors. I mean, from your parents all the way back, you don't get to pick any of them. But I wonder if you could, if you could change some folks that go back in that family tree. You know, would you uh, kind of say, yeah, oh, you know. Uh, great grandpa on this side, he, yeah, he was a, he was a card. He was a character. I don't know. I don't, I don't claim him too much or, yeah, you know, everybody's got a weird uncle in their family. So I look at my nephews and nieces and I think, oh my, it might even be me. So anyway, uh, but, uh, you know, what would your family tree, uh, how would it look differently if you got to choose? Well, in the gospel of Matthew, we find that Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And through the genealogy of Jesus, we find that God always keeps his promises. We find that God's grace is always sufficient, and we find that God's salvation has been provided for us. So take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to jump into the genealogies. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to pick up reading in verse number one, and we'll read down through verse number six, and then we'll pick up in verses 16 and 17. But keep your Bible open because we will uh, be perusing throughout the chapter. It says, Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Solomon. And Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now slide down with me to verse number 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now, these are, are probably rounded. They're not every, every member of the, the ancestry, but he, he gives a synopsis of 14 before, 14, uh, before the, uh, the captivity. He gives from the, uh, until the captivity and then from the captivity and then until Christ. With that, let's take a moment and pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. And uh, Lord, even, even through this list of names today, would you just draw out uh, your faithfulness and your grace? In your name we pray. Amen. 
The question, if you were born in St. Louis, that everyone asks each other is this. What high school did you go to? That is the standard question. Matter of fact, if you Google what high school did you go to, it will come up in references to this is a question that's asked in St. Louis. All right. Really. And, and, and seriously. So so there's a reason that that when you have grown up in this greater St. Louis area and you've been spread out, that when you meet someone and they grew up in this area, you ask, where did you go to high school? And the question of where did you go to high school kind of helps you to get a geographical center of where someone is. It helps you to understand socially and maybe economically kind of where they grew up in in life and who their friends were. It gives you a, a, a picture of maybe even their religion because there's so many private schools in the area Catholic, evangelical, Presbyterian, different different schools in the area. And if they went to one of those private schools, then then you kind of have an, an inkling of of that. And it also helps you just to compare your high school with their high school. How was their football team? What was their band like? You know, those kinds of important things that we still talk about when we're, you know, in our 30s and 40s and 50s. And no one cares what your football team did back in, you know, the 60s and 50s and the well, I won't go back any further. All right. So anyway, uh, as, as we look at, at Matthew and the opening of his gospel, he is writing to primarily a Jewish audience. So he wants them to understand where Jesus comes from. He wants them to see that Jesus is not just a fly-by-night prophet who has shown up on the scene and, and who now has done miracles and preached and taught. And now people are saying, because Matthew wrote this after the resurrection, now people are saying that, that he died and he rose again and he sent disciples. And so Matthew is going back now, reflecting on Jesus' life and saying, look, Jewish friends, I want you to understand where Jesus comes from. It's important. It's important for you to understand his ancestry and his heritage. And through this, we find that Jesus was obviously Jewish. And we find that Jesus, through his lineage, is obviously one who is qualified to inherit the throne. And that's why he starts in the very beginning saying, hey, I want you to know that Jesus is related to David and to Abraham, that Jesus is obviously Jewish. And I want you to see that. But through this genealogy, we see so much more about God. As I shared, we, we see God keeping and fulfilling the promises that he has made to his people. We see God showing this undeserved mercy and love and kindness in who he would use as part of the background for Jesus' life. And then we ultimately see him present Jesus, the one who, and the only one, who can provide salvation for all of us. So, as we pick up and look at Matthew 1, 1, again, we see Jesus, the, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And with that genealogy beginning, I think there's three great challenges for all of us. And when we think of genealogies, we don't think that this is, you know, usually the most exciting parts of the Bible to preach. But I want to tell you, this is exciting. So I want us to give you three challenges today. First off, I want you to trust the God who keeps his promises. Trust the God who keeps his promises. As we look at the picture and the life of Jesus, and we look at his genealogy, what we see is the fulfillment of God's promises before his people. Now, let's, again, we open in verse number one, and we see that it references immediately to David and then to Abraham, and then picks up in verse number two, where it says, Abraham begot Isaac. Now, every good Jewish boy, girl, man, woman, teenager, everyone would know who Abraham is. They would know why they are looking back, and he's starting with this sense of the genealogy with Abraham. Because through Abraham, God promised universal blessing. And he fulfills that promise. Now, if you have your Bible or you want to turn quickly or you can just listen, listen to Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses. This is where God calls Abraham. He says this, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Remember, Abraham grew up in a pagan environment and God speaks to him and says, Look, I want you to come out of that. And he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will uh, make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And then verse number three, you need to know this because this is what he says. I will bless those who bless you. I believe that promise is still for us today with the people of Israel, that we have a challenge that we're to bless God's people so that we can receive blessing. But he says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And then he says this, and in you, All the families of the earth will be blessed. God makes a promise through Abraham, there will be universal blessing. And can I tell you, across our country today, isn't it interesting that whenever there's a tragedy, there's a difficulty, there's destruction, there's a horrific accident, what happens? You start to see folks from disaster relief of the Southern Baptist Convention. You begin to see uh, folks from ministries like Samaritan's Purse. And we see in our missions movement across the world that uh, we have helped to, uh, to build wells in Africa. And in the name of Christ, we have taught farmers in India. And in the, the name of Jesus, food and literature has been distributed all over the world. And doctors are serving today throughout the world to areas of lostness because there is a seeking through Jesus to be that blessing. That's the picture. That through Abraham and through the coming of Jesus, the world will be blessed. Do you realize that the beginning of education and the beginning of schools, predominantly here in our country specifically, was started primarily by believers who wanted to educate and move people along and wanted to heal and help people get restored so that they could know the God of the Bible and his son, Jesus Christ. It's the picture of universal blessing. But then notice what happens in that next 
uh, verse. He says, uh, Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot Judah. Verse number two. With Judah, there is the promise of national kingship. We just went through the, the life of Joseph this summer. And in Joseph's life, at the very end, when Jacob lays his hands on all of his kids, in Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10, the Lord speaks to Judah, and this is what he says in verse number 10. The scepter, which a king would hold, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. He's saying in Genesis 49.10, look, I want you to understand that Jesus came through the line of Judah because God had established that the national king of Israel would come through the line of Judah, that the scepter, the holdings of the king, shall not depart from Judah. So now through Jesus, God is not only saying this is the key to the universal blessing of the world, through Jesus all the world will be blessed, but this is the key of national kingship. But then he takes it a step further because notice back in Genesis chapter, uh, I mean, notice back in, in Matthew chapter one uh, with me. Notice where it says down in uh, verse number six, and Jesse begot David the king. Now, God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter seven. And this to David, he made the promise not just of a national king, But he made the promise that there was going to be one who would reign on his throne forever. It's interesting. It calls him David the king. He is not messing around. He's saying David is going to be the eternal king. So through David, he shows his eternal kingship. Notice, and just listen, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 12. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. He will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish, listen, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Now, is there one from the the line of David? Is there one from the line of of Judah? Is there one from the line of Abraham who could be the king forever? No, because you look back at genealogy and you see this king lives and then he sleeps with his father. He dies. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. But the picture is, is that Jesus has an eternal kingship, that one day he is coming to rule and reign forever. And that's why we sing about his ruling and reigning forever. Then we see one last thing that I, I want you to point out that, that most of the time probably wouldn't, wouldn't take, you, you wouldn't take note of. But notice down back in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 11, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begat Zerubbabel. Here, the picture of the exile and the promise of God's supernatural care. You say, buddy, what does this have to do with anything? So here's the picture. Prophets like Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 25 and in Jeremiah chapter 29, we find that he said this. He said, look, 
You have turned from God and because of that, you are going to be carried off for 70 years and you will be in exile. And so what happens between 605 BC and 586 BC is that the Babylonians come in and they take all of the northern tribes, they take the southern tribes and they carry off the best and the brightest to Babylon. It looks like all hope is lost. Remember, guys like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were carried off to Babylon. So you look back at this genealogy and you think, man, a Messiah is going to come through Jesus, or through, through Abraham, through Judah, through David. Man, we've been carried off into a different country. We're helpless and hopeless. What are we going to do? I mean, how, how are we going to figure all of this out? I mean, uh, we may never be free again. We may never know life as we've known it before. Hmm. And then, you remember the story in the, in the book of Daniel with the handwriting on the wall and the Persians come in, the Medo-Persian Empire comes in and they uh, overtake the Babylonians. And then after they overtake the Babylonians, they begin to allow them to start coming back. And guys like Ezra and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah begin to come back. And what we see is God's people are going back to God's land and God's promises are fulfilled. Think about this. The whole line, the whole family could have been wiped out. Think think of this. The Babylonians could have come in and just killed everybody and not worried about, about what had happened. This was a savage, beastly nation of warriors. And yet, God spared and moved in the hearts and lives of his people. Why? Because we find in the genealogy of Jesus that God keeps his promises. And can I tell you today, as we face the challenges of 2020 and the pandemic around us, can I tell you, God still keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. You don't have to walk alone. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to wonder if your prayers are being answered. He says, call to me and I will answer you. You you don't have to wonder, am I going to be able to make it? Because my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. The picture is, is that God keeps his promises. And so we should find great encouragement from that. As a matter of fact, God not only keeps his promises, but he used the time that the Babylonians carried off the Jewish people in Babylon through the example of Daniel before King Nebuchadnezzar and then also before the Persians. Do you know where the wise men come from in Matthew chapter 2? They come from Persia. And from Numbers 24, 17, it says, a star shall come from Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And they put that together and they realized When there was a star, they needed to go to Israel because a king was born. God not only preserved them through this time, but God used this time to further the message of Jesus. How else would the Persians have known about the baby, the Messiah being born? Had the people not been carried off to Babylon, 
had they not spent their time in Persia. Can I, can I just remind you, even when it doesn't look like God's working, he's working. Even when it looks like everything is bleak and harsh and difficult and frustrating, God's working. God's working. God's working. And God always keeps his promises. Trust the God who keeps his promises. But secondly, we look not only at trusting the God who keeps his promises, but we need to receive the God who shows this awesome and sufficient grace. Notice with me, as, as we, we picture the genealogies, n- n- again, if we had the choice, many of us probably would, would not have gone this route. But notice with me in, in verse number three, it mentions uh, Tamar. If you mark in your Bible, you may want to underline Tamar. Verse number five, Rahab. Verse number five, Ruth. Verse number six, Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba, you know that. And Mary. See, God's grace is sufficient to include the overlooked. God's grace is sufficient to include the overlooked. That's why Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Uriah's wife Bathsheba and Mary are all mentioned. Do you realize that in Jewish genealogy, they didn't mention men. I mean, the women. They only mentioned the men. They, they would not characteristically mention women. The women were overlooked. Matter of fact, there was a Jewish prayer that they say was recited by men every day. And it went something along these lines. God, I bless you that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Seriously, you can, you can look it up, be happy to, to show you the reference of it. But as they would think about that blessing, what happens in this section of Scripture? God mentions the overlooked. He mentions Tamar, Genesis 38. He mentions Rahab and Joshua chapter 2 and following. He mentions Ruth and the book of Ruth. Mentions Uriah's wife and mentions Mary. Usually women would just be overlooked. But God stops and through the mouthpiece of Matthew says... I want you to know that my grace is inclusive for men and women, for everyone. All need to come to meet the Savior. And so I'm going to take this group of folks, some names you'll recognize, some names you may not recognize, but these five women, all Jews are going to know who they are. God's grace is sufficient to include the overlooked. But not only the overlooked, but the unlikely. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. As we look at some of these women, we find that they are absolutely morally flawed. In Genesis chapter 38, when you think about Tamar, you we're not going to go into too much depth of the story, but I mean, Tamar disguises herself, dresses up as a prostitute, and seduces her father-in-law. I mean, not a pretty picture. 
Then we see Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. I mean, it starts right off. And it talks about Jericho, and there Rahab, the harlot, was there. And then we see the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. Everybody knows. I mean, David's mentioned in the genealogy. And and the wife of Uriah, David, had an affair with Bathsheba and then ordered her her wife to be killed. So we think, not only does God include these women in there, but we would think... these aren't the ones that we would pick to be, you know, in our genealogical family record here. I read the story of uh, Ronald Reagan a few years ago, just some, some short stories that he wrote about his childhood. And he said that when he was in his Huck Finn days, I loved it. He didn't tell what age he was. He just said, when I was in my Huck Finn days, and uh, in Illinois at the time, he said there was a family named the Winchells that lived next door to him. And they had a store on the bottom, and then they lived on the second story of their their little home. And he said that he was playing with uh, one of the Winchell boys one day up on the second floor on a Saturday afternoon, and the mom and dad were downstairs working at the store. And he said, we found Mr. Winchell's shotgun. And we decided that we would lay the butt of the gun down on the ground, and then we'd pull the trigger. Well, they did that, and they pulled the trigger, and nothing happened. Until one of them came up with the idea, well, maybe we should pump it first. And so they pumped it, and he said it was the loudest noise he had ever heard in his life as that shotgun went off, and he said blew a dishpan-sized hole in the ceiling. He said just a few moments later, he said, Mr. and Mrs. Winchell peeked their way into the upstairs only to find two boys sitting on the couch looking over their Sunday school lessons. (laughs) I, I love that story, and it stood out to me because, you know, I mean, sin leaves a mark. I mean, it it leaves a mark. I mean, we can try to look as innocent as we can be, and we can try to dress up uh, these unlikely characters with their moral dilemmas, but the picture is is the, the, the reality is out there. You did it. You messed up. But the truth is, is that even when we sin, God's grace is greater than our sin. That failure never has to be the final word on our life. That God would use Tamar, and God would use Rahab, and God would use Bathsheba. It wouldn't be that immorality would be that that scarlet letter of their life. Instead, God's grace comes into an amazing view here as we see that God God can use people who have morally messed up, which includes all of us. Now, you may not have been as bad as you wanted to be at times, or you could have been, but all of us are bad. All of us are sinners, and we need a Savior, and we need grace. And God shows that even in His grace, He can use us morally flawed and all. But not only do we see that they were morally flawed, but they were ethnically diverse. If you go back and you look at the background, where did Rahab grow up? She was a Gentile Canaanite 
pagan harlot. Where did Ruth grow up? She was a Moabite. She was a Gentile. And yet God would say, look, I've not come for perfect people. I've come for morally flawed and sinful people. And I didn't just come for the Jewish people, but God, as Isaiah speaks, says, look, I'm going to be a light to the Gentiles. And he not only says it, but he shows it by including Rahab and Ruth in the genealogy of the Jewish Messiah so that God would take these Gentile uh, lost women and draw them to the God, the one true God, of creation, the God of Abraham, and use them in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That's the picture. God uses the overlooked and God uses the unlikely. But then notice with me down in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 16, it mentions Mary and God uses the ordinary. (laughs) I I hate to use the word ordinary for, for Mary, but when she has the angel visit her and in Luke 1.38, she, she basically says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me as you have said. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what to call myself. I'm just a servant of the Lord. That's what she brings to the table. We would say, growing up as a, Jewish girl and trying to live a a godly life and learning and working alongside your mother in the home and doing those things would look rather ordinary. But God would take this ordinary woman and do something extraordinary. That God would take just this common teenage girl and through her impact the world. I thought about many in our church. Their names won't be on marquees anywhere. As I hung up the phone with Miss Darlene last night, and I thought, she has touched thousands of lives in India. I thought about our Sunday school ladies who have uh, been diligent to teach, especially in our children's departments over the years, and some of you have been been there. And I thought about our Connect ministry and Peg Lee just having a vision just to, to help come alongside the school and be a light and a, do something for the Lord. And now we're sending home backpacks every Friday filled with food and every week Uh, Every month, 70-plus families are coming to get boxes of groceries from our food. She's not going to make headlines. I thought about my mom. Today I'm preaching, and uh, my brother Chris is preaching, my brother-in-law Ed's preaching, and my sisters are active in ministry. My oldest sister is... uh, does women's ministry at her church, at, at my brother-in-law's church, and she teaches and mentors a group of young adult ladies. And my one sister is the pastor's wife, and she's done everything. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's kind of... And then my other sister, who has a real burden for prayer and leads moms in prayer groups 
across uh, the St. Louis area. And then me and my brother Chris are in ministry, and my brother Dale is a school teacher and plays in the worship band and, and leads in children's ministry when, and does so many other things. And I just thought, an ordinary woman. And yet, through, through her lives are just being touched every week. And I, I don't know where you are today, but I, I want to tell you, don't overlook even the small things that you've done in the name of the Lord. Don't, don't, don't discount the fact that, that I can't be used or I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just ordinary. Instead, recognize that God has a plan for your life. And in that plan, he wants to work and to move in a very special, special way. As we think of God's grace, we not only see that God is going to show that he's the promise keeper and he's the grace giver. But as we think about the truth, we need to embrace the God who provides salvation for all of us. Notice with me, as we come and look in verse number 18, he says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We see the incarnation of Jesus. She's going to have a child, verse 18. Notice down in verse number 21, and she will bring forth a son. There is the picture of the incarnation. That Jesus is going to be a real God in the flesh person. Fully man, so that you would not know that he's fully God. I mean, Jesus was going to take on eyes and elbows and knees. And he was going to have a big toe and a funny bone. Actually, not a funny bone, but it's a nerve that when you hit it, it... Makes the, the truth of the matter is, is Jesus was so human that people did not realize his deity. The incarnation. That God was going to provide a perfect son for us. So that we could experience salvation. Notice with me down in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21. That salvation through Jesus would come. Notice. And she'll bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We see salvation through Jesus Christ alone. She's going to bring forth a son. He's going to save his people from their sin. The truth is, is all of us are a lot more like Tamar or Ruth or Rahab than we are but being perfect. And because we're all morally flawed, we need a perfect Savior. One who would be fully God and sinless, and one who would be fully man and could stand as the mediator between God and man for us. And so, as you think about the gifts that are under your tree this year, and as you think of this season where some of you, are instead of going to the stores, are just simply perusing and ordering through Amazon, I want to challenge you to embrace that awesome and wonderful gift that has been provided through 
Jesus alone. That he would save his people. The greatest gift that we could have is to have our sin removed. And then down just a couple more verses in Matthew 1, 23. His name's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. Sin gone. Jesus through the Spirit in. That's what Christmas truly is all about. So I want to encourage you through this time and through the challenges and through what you feel like you're frustrated about and disappointed with through this holiday, I do want to remind you, be thankful for Jesus because through Jesus we see God keeps his promises. God's grace is sufficient and salvation came through him. And even when it looked like Israel was in a bleak and hopeless moment during that exile period when they'd been carried off to Babylon, God was at work. And God can be at work in us, just ordinary people. That we could have an impact so that people will come to know him. And spend eternity with him. There's no greater gift than you could share with somebody this year. Than to share Jesus saves. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. God, thank you for keeping promises. For showing sufficient and awesome and wonderful grace. and For providing for salvation. Lord, we don't deserve it. But Lord, we say thank you for it. And God, I pray that you would use us. Lord, just ordinary people. We, we have nothing to brag about. Except the fact that we were sinners and we were saved by an awesome Savior. And now we're on mission with you. So Lord, put us on mission. Put us on mission around our community. Put us on mission with our family. Put us on mission through emails and through phone calls. Put us on mission through Zoom calls. Lord, put us on mission as ordinary people who you want to do something extraordinary through. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Lord, we're your servants. We embrace that. But Lord, you've saved us. So most of all, we embrace you as our Savior, as our hope, as our salvation. And Jesus, it's in your awesome and wonderful name, the name that saves us from our sin, we pray. Amen.